It's time to slam now. We got the real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. Welcome to Pick and Pod. I'm your host, Billy Reinhardt, alongside Charlie Maisano and Vinny DeBellis. What's going on, man? What's going on, man? How you guys doing? What's up, guys? I'm hyped to talk some hoops today. I'm yeah, excited. Definitely. So we're going to get right into the Knicks, and they've been kind of tanking the close out this season, struggling as of late, although they did pick up a win over the Pistons the other night. Uh, we're going to get into, do you think tanking is healthy for NBA teams down the stretch of the season? Well, I think with the Knicks this year... Um especially considering that they don't really have anything going as far as uh, sort of a long-term plan for them, considering how deep this draft class is and they could end up with a guy who is potentially a franchise-changing player, I, I think you have to do it. I mean, either you guys see in the Knicks do do anything in the playoffs? I, I, no. I think tanking's got to be the best move. I think they have to tank. They're 28-46 and 46 this season. I mean, they came in the season with such high expectations, at least to make the eighth seed in the playoffs. Joe Joakim Noah just got suspended for 20 games uh, a couple of couple of weeks ago or like this week. Derrick Rose is probably on his way out, so I think they got to tank and probably even get a high pick in the draft. Maybe they can get like a guy like Darian Fox or Malik Monk, somebody that can facilitate the ball and help in the triangle. Even though I don't want them to use the triangle anymore. Although on the court, you may think that tanking would be good to get a nice young player to pair Porzingis and Hernan Gomez. I tend to think that tanking is unhealthy for a team's culture, the organization just as a whole, and the Knicks don't really have too good of a culture to begin with right now uh, with all the problems they've had off the court uh, this season, even on the court with Derrick Rose, Carmelo, Chris Stapps all calling out the offense. They don't know if they're playing a triangle or playing the fast motion offense with Jeff Hornacek. So there's not a great culture around the Knicks overall, and to infuse uh, an attitude of losing into it to close the season, I don't think that's the best thing. Maybe you could uh, look to tank where you sit mellow or sit D-Rose, some of the vets down the season every other game, something like that, where they won't have as good of a chance to win. But I don't think uh, just, I mean, I don't like the idea of openly tanking. I don't think it's good for a team's culture. Yeah, I agree with the point about it being bad for the culture. And I think with the Knicks, how bad they've been in recent years, it's it's tough to even tell when they are intentionally tanking. You know <laughs> what I mean? They They could be better off. I mean, when they were quote-unquote playing their best guys and making it seem like they were trying to win games they weren't winning games that way either so I don't see that big of a difference in terms of win-loss results between a Knicks team that's going uh putting Noah and Rose and all their guys on the court versus a team that isn't I mean I don't like it for the culture either but in some cases it works look at Philly trust the process they got Joel Embiid they got Ben Simmons uh in the first overall pick last draft they got a guy, They got guys like Dario Saric. They got so much young talent that can help them win in the future. So even though they may have lo- they may have been losing two, three, four, five seasons, but now their long term future looks great. But it takes time to kind of lose that that attitude of like a lot of people see, still see uh, the Seventy Sixers as a losing team, a team that has that negative atmosphere around it. Even though they are starting to turn the corner a little bit, and then Bead's hurt now, Simmons is hurt, so. Their future's not as bright, maybe, as it looked at the beginning of the year. Um, but, I mean, I do like the idea of the Knicks. Once you get past, right now they're the fifth worst record in the league. So, let's say they, the lottery falls straight. They'll get the fifth pick. They'll probably miss out on Ball, Fox, Jack. I mean, not Fox, probably Ball, Fultz, Jackson. Probably go after Tatum, Fox, uh, Isaac, one of those guys, Monk. Uh-huh. Um, so, that would be a nice piece, especially if you get in the backcourt to pair up Porzingis and Hernan Gomez for the future. Um 
So that could definitely be good with you guys. Who do you think is a good fit for the Knicks? You know, this is a tough one for me. I think you can't really go wrong with as far as, like, top 10 draft picks go. Assuming they miss out on those sort of big three of Jackson, Ball, and Fultz, which I think a lot of people are considering them the consensus top three. I think I like um, I like Dennis Smith at that uh, at that spot if they're able to get him. I think he could be a potential franchise change in point guard. Mm-hmm. And um, I also think a pick of um, like a Laurie Markkinen maybe uh, to pair with a, a Porzingis of having like two six ten plus guys De- who can definitely. create and shoot. That that'd be interesting to if, see. If you want to go like strictly a system triangle fit, if that's what the Knicks are sticking with, yeah. which it seems it does, I would say that I think Phil Jackson probably loves Markinen, even though he's maybe towards the tenth pick, something a little mm-hmm. later. Um, I think he would love Malik Monk as a guard that could space the floor. I think he would like uh, the European point guard, Frank Nicolina. I'm not sure really how to pronounce his name. But all these ball-dominant point guards like Fultz, Ball, Fox, even Smith, I don't think they fit the triangle necessarily. So it'll be interesting to see how Phil Jackson navigates that come draft time. I would like I would like to see them get either like Jason Tatum to play the three uh, when say they slide Melo down to the four and then Porzingis to the five because Noah's going to be gone twenty games not like he's starting anyway and then off the bench you can get Hernan Gomez or even a guy like the De- uh, Darian Fox with Jarek Rose on his way out so one of those two guys is one of my ideal um, landing spots. Well, we'll see what happens with the Knicks. They got a lot of things up in the air with Carmelo, Derek Rose, this big draft pick they have. So we'll see what happens with the Knicks. So now we're going to move on to the Nets. Um, they've actually been playing pretty well recently since Jeremy Lin's return. Um, I have this stat here. They're 9-7 and seven this year in games that Jeremy Lin's played 24 minutes or more. Wow. So that's a 46-win pace over an 82-game season. I don't think they're that good, but I think if they had Jeremy Lin healthy all season, they'd probably be between 28-33 wins, something similar to where the Knicks are right now, but without all the drama and off-court distractions. Um, but they're definitely playing better in March, and that's something to look forward to come next season. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think we, we're all in agreement. Lynn plays his best basketball in New York, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so while, while I don't know if he's the, the answer for, for the franchise, I think it is good to have a guy who's a little bit experienced there at the at the point guard position. I know, uh, Billy, you're a big Nets fan. It's got to yeah. be frustrating seeing all the talent in this draft class and knowing that the Nets aren't really going to luck out with the, the top of that class and that Boston is still um, – uh, reaping the benefits of that uh, infamous trade from back, how many years ago was that? Three, four years ago? Four years ago, maybe K- now. KG yeah. Pierce, Pierce trade. Okay, yeah, 2012. So, um, but yeah, I think eventually, maybe not this next year, but eventually the, the young talent has to swing their way and they'll uh, maybe after a, a year of success, two years of success, it is going to be. Uh, Brooklyn will be a popular landing spot for some uh, big-name guys, but I think you need to establish some winning before you can attract some big names to, to come in there. Well, you mentioned it being frustrating not having uh, the first overall pick most likely mm-hmm. this year. Definitely is, but I trust Sean Marks. Like If you look at back last year, we had the same thing. Uh, Celtics got our pick, and they got Jalen Brown with the third overall pick. And he's been a good rookie for them, but we got Karis LeVert at 20, who I'm very he's high legit. on. He's yeah. legit. I think he's maybe even better than Jalen Brown. And if you just look at the third pick and the 20th pick. <clears throat> and the Nets, do have, the Nets do have two picks. With, they, have, they got Washington's they pick. Have and Washington's they have Washington's and Boston's. They're going to have Boston's pick, too. So I think they could still find somebody in like 
the late teens and 20s yeah, in, this, so in, this, uh, in this draft class. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have probably a 25th, 26th pick, both of them. So you can get two nice players around the same place we got Levert last year. And then you got two second-round picks most likely, one from the Celtics that they get from the Celtics utilizing the swap this year. And then if Indiana misses the playoffs, which it's still up in the air right now, they get the Pacers' second-round pick. They're at the seven right now, the Pacers. Yeah, but they the loss last night, Paul George is calling out his team again. So we'll see what happens with that. They're only two games up on the Bulls, who are the nine seed right now. So that could still happen. You get four young players infused into the team that they have right now with uh, Levert, Ronda Hollis-Jefferson, Isaiah White, all making strides this year. Um, Lynn and Lopez hopefully healthy for a year together, maybe add a piece or two in free agency. I think that could help them for next year. Uh, I really trust Sean Marks and Kenny Axon in the path that they're on, and I'm excited as a Nets fan. Now, Billy, as a, as a Nets fan, would you want them to trade Brooke Lopez this offseason, or what, what, do you, what do you think about that? Um, even at this deadline, I mean, I was open to trading Brooke Lopez. I, th- I think as a philosophy, as a team, you should be open to trading anyone for the right offer, um, but I would not shop him and trade him for anything i don't think they got what they wanted they were looking for at least one first round pick uh that was at least lottery level and they obviously didn't get that so i mean he's a good team player he's a good guy he the team his teammates love him he's a selfless player um he's had a three-point shot this year that makes him an even greater threat as a seven footer um so he's i mean he's a really good player that i'd keep around unless you just got overblown for an offer um I'm, like I said, I'm interested to see how he does next year with full season of Jeremy Lin having a point guard that can get him the ball. And my question is on Lopez: How many more years do you guys think he has as a top big in the league? I don't, I don't know if you'd consider him like top top big in the league right now, but sort of top five to top ten big man in the league before he's sort of past that end of his prime. Would you say? I guess um, it all depends on if his foot is. I know he had the foot injury like two seasons ago, yeah, and it was a reoccurring issue when. KG and Paul Pierce around the Nets, but if if he can just stay healthy, I think that the Nets should continue to build around him. He's got maybe a, like five, seven more years left. Well, right now he's turning 29 on April 1st, so okay. he's right in his prime. He probably has maybe th- two to three years of prime basketball left, and he's a big man that doesn't ath- uh, rely on athleticism, really, so he could age gracefully, I would think, as long as he's healthy, like you mentioned. Um, the addition of his three-point shot, when he gets older, he doesn't have to take the pounding down low. He could step out a little bit and That's shoot the three. So that would be very good for his future. I mean, I th- I'm not even sure what they're going to do because after next season, he's a free agent. So if they don't end up moving him, it would be interesting to see how long they feel comfortable locking him up. Um, but I don't know. I'm very excited about the Nets for the future. I think they're in good hands with Atkinson and Marks. So now let's move on to the Warriors, who uh, last night defeated the Houston Rockets in Houston. Uh, big win for the Warriors. who have now won eight straight, all without Kevin Durant. Uh, what do you guys think about that and the success the Warriors have had, even without what most would say their best player? I think it's big time, especially since people were saying it seems like a few weeks ago, as soon as uh, Durant got hurt, I hear people talking, oh, that this dynasty's over, the best days of the Warriors are behind them. And uh, Steph and Clay and, and company are showing that, hey, we, we remember how to win games. We won 70, 73 last year. And um, while I, I definitely feel like they're better with KD and they need KD in order to make a title run, it's got to be reassuring to the guys who are still there uh, from last year and some of the new role players that they can win games without KD. And I think it's a big morale booster headed into uh, this uh, late season run to try to lock up that one seed and get some momentum going for the uh, for the playoffs. They got a they got a tough schedule going forward. They got the Spurs tonight. They got then they go um, Houston. They got Houston. Then they got the the Wizards after that. 
Then they played like the Timberwolves, the Suns, and then New Orleans. And then their season's pretty much done. But these next three to four games are going to be big to see how they can handle uh, ha- handle them without Kevin Durant. But like like uh, you guys have been saying, they're on an eight-game win streak. They're heating up at the right time, unlike the Cavs. So I think I think that they'll I think they'll be set and make a f- good finals run. Well, and the Warriors just announced an hour or so ago that Kevin Durant's nearing a return in seven to ten days. He'll be reevaluated, and he's intensifying movement. Um, so they say his rehab's been going as well as it could be expected. So that's all good news for the Warriors. Seems like he'll be back maybe with a couple games to spare in a regular season or early in the playoffs. So. Uh, it's good news for them, obviously. They play San Antonio tonight. Let's talk a little, bit, a little bit about San Antonio. They just played the Cavs the other night, and they took them apart. And the Cavs were relatively at full strength, besides Kyle Korver not playing. So, I mean, what do you guys think about the Spurs? They're only two games in the loss column behind the Warriors right now in the Western Conference. Um, they're always good. I mean, what do you th- can you think they can knock off the Warriors come playoff time? Yeah, I mean, the Spurs... If, if there's going to be a team to do it in the West, I think uh, it's no secret that the Spurs have the best chance to do it. These guys have won five straight. And, uh, you do actually think the Spurs have the best chance? Because some people think the Rockets, the way they play offense, they can get up and down the floor, a dynamic player like Harden, and they could kind of go toe-to-toe better with the Warriors. Yeah, I, I think it's the Spurs. I know, I know the Rockets have uh, played the Warriors tight in their meetings this year. I remember one game uh, pretty early on, they had an overtime game where the Rockets beat them. But I, I just think the Spurs... Um, just history of winning, and they're they're very comfortable with being at the top. And uh, I know it didn't go too well last year when they faced off with the Warriors in the regular season, at least. But I think uh, that Kawhi Leonard factor on on the Spurs is going to be big in uh, setting up what I think will eventually be a Western Conference Final of uh, Spurs Warriors. And I think the outcome of that will be dependent on how how healthy. The Warriors are how well KD readjusts to uh, coming back to the team. I love that matchup just for Kawhi against Kevin Durant. Oh, that'd be Tremendous. awesome! Tremendous, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the Spurs can do it. I mean, they're four and zero against the Cavs and uh, Cavs and Warriors this season, and beating them by a margin of twenty points per game. So, if, albeit some games teams, yeah, rested I mean they did players. rest, but on like opening night they demol they demolished the the Warriors even <laughs> with when they had Kevin Durant. I think tonight will be a big test, even though Kevin Durant isn't playing. Um, you got hopefully not everybody sits and everyone's playing the game. So if if the Spurs get the win tonight, I think that it'll be a good a good um a good a good like thing mat- to build upon. Good, good thing to build confidence upon. Builder confidence builder going into the playoffs. Confidence going into the playoffs. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Um, so let's get into the Cavs a little bit now. Um, we just mentioned they got annihilated by the Spurs the other night in San Antonio on national TV. The Cavaliers are only six and nine here in March. Uh, they're kind of reintegrating a lot of their roster, integrating some of their roster with injuries to uh, J.R. Smith, Kevin Love, Kyle Korver. They're trying to bring them back now, get them back into the flow of things, get them adjusted to playing with new guys such as Darren Williams, uh, Larry Sanders, who hasn't played too much with the big club yet. He's kind of been in the D-League to rehab. But all those new additions, it's kind of difficult for the Cavs at this point in the season. What do you think is the crux of their problem? Uh, You know, I, th- I think it's being a little overblown. I don't think uh... – well, I'd say the crux of their problem, I guess, is uh, the fact that Lo- Love's been out for a little while, and uh, it's sort of toward the end of the year where um, if you look at past years where a LeBron-led team has had some troubles, it seems like they always get into um, a point late in the regular season where you start to question um, whether they have the ability to do it. Uh, a tweet I saw from Pablo Torre from, uh, uh, he's on first, t- uh, not first take, around the horn a lot. Yesterday he said something like, um, 
every year there comes a time where you question whether to sell all LeBron stock that you have. And he said, don't do it. And I totally agree with that sort of sentiment in that they're going to be fine. I think uh, LeBron's a different beast in, in the playoffs. You know, once once he gets into that mode and uh, gets a few series under his belt, I think in, in that potential matchup with the Celtics late in the playoffs, um, because I, th- I think most people agree that they'll probably get there. Um, I think they, they still have the two best players on the floor in Irving and LeBron. And I uh, as, as much as the Celtics are uh, really well-coached team and a lot of people are calling it for, for it to be this year that they take down the Cavs, um, I just think the experience of LeBron and just that sort of mental edge that they have over the Celtics still propel them to the championship. I don't know how you guys feel about uh their resilience or p- potential shot to get back there. I actually think the Cavaliers' hardest matchup is the Wizards. Okay. Because I think John Wall, Bradley Beal, they forced Kyrie Irving to have to guard one of them. Uh, and they're both high-usage players. You can't really take plays off. Um, John Wall, I mean, he could cut up any defense with his speed and his athleticism. And then now the addition of Bogdanovich off the bench, Brandon Jennings makes him a little bit deeper. Uh, they could kind of match up with the Cavaliers when they go small. If they put LeBron at the four, Otto Porter could play the four with Bogdanovich in there. Uh, Gortat's a tough player. He sets hard screens. He can match up with Thompson. I just like that matchup overall. I think the Cavaliers would win, and I think they're going to get through the East rather easily. Um, but the Wizards are the one team I think that could give them a little bit of a problem. Well, uh, They're just playing really slow. I've heard a stat that uh, in the past 10 games when they've lost for the last six, that they're the slowest team on offense, and then they're the third slowest team on defense. So they just got to pick up the pace. Kyrie's got to move the ball more. They got to keep running on, running down on transition. They just got to speed up their game. Do you think they still get out of the East? Yeah, I think they'll still yeah. win the East. I'm just saying right now they're just playing too slow. They got to pick up where they were in the beginning of the season, playing fast and moving the ball more. They got to when Kyle Korver comes back, they'll have uh, a shooter to spread the floor and take some pressure off LeBron some, uh, from shooting threes. The Cavaliers, I think, have gotten a little bit too three-point happy. I mean, yeah. they think they're the Warriors almost at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've added a lot of shooters, which is the key, I think, to basketball, being able to space the floor. I mean, with Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, Shumpert shooting, I think, 40% from three this year. Darren Williams is a competent three-point shooter. Kevin Love. Uh, they got a lot of guys that can space the floor. Um, but at the same time, I think you got to get back to – they got a size advantage on most teams with Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, LeBron at the three. They should start posting and really – putting their strength on people um i think that's what they got to get back to and then from there the open shots from the perimeter will be even more open what do you guys think about that yeah i I totally agree with that and um i I think it's a good point about being too three-point happy and i remember last year especially in those early rounds of the playoffs where they had a few performances where the Cavs just were not missing from three and it was sort of uncharacteristic of that team to be so hot um that i i do think that they got to use their strength of uh, being able to outmuscle teams and take it down low. Uh, LeBron's a very good passer out of the post position, so if you post him up and have guys like uh, a J.R. Smith, Kyrie Irving spotting up from from three, then that's a really deadly way to tear apart defenses. Um, I'm just wondering if you, you think I, I know LeBron was complaining a lot earlier in the year about oh, we need to get that one guy, we're not competitive enough. Do you think he's satisfied with the team he has going on? I mean, he should be. I think he's satisfied with the talent. He's not satisfied how they're playing right now. Mm. I mean, when he was saying all year we need a playmaker, people like 
thought that he was asking for another star or something like that, but he was literally looking for another point guard off the bench, which they got in Darren Williams, who's probably one of the best best backup point guards in the league right now. Um, so, I mean, I don't think he's happy with their defensive effort. Their new additions haven't necessarily uh, been great defensive players. Um, but I think it's more of a mindset. When the playoffs come along with LeBron leading the charge, he's made six straight NBA finals. That's absurd. I can't see that changing this year when he has one of his more talented teams, in my opinion. And that's what they're missing with Andrew Bogut after getting hurt in just, what, one minute of playing time? Yeah. He would have helped them a lot on defense, and he could have been an anchor in the middle when Tristan Thompson's not playing, mm-hmm. and they just lost that after one minute of, uh, of playing. Well, they added Larry Sanders shortly after. He hasn't played in a couple of years, but when he he's, did— He's on the Canton charge right now, so yeah, he's not helping them right now. Because he hasn't— he hasn't been in the league in a couple years, like I said, so I think they're trying to still get him to game shape, get him readjusted with playing. But I think by the postseason, he could be someone that makes an impact against a team that has a bigger backup big. Um, I, I mean, he's a he, when he was playing with the Bucks, he was a guy that averaged just almost three blocks a game. He was a really good rim protector and athletic player. So I think he's someone to keep an eye on and look out for him come the season. But like we were mentioning with the three-point shot, when they – I mean, because we all think this is going to lead up to Warriors-Cavs, I'm sure uh, – when they start playing, when they play the Warriors in the finals, they can't be shooting all these threes. They're not going to be able to keep up. I think they have to slow it down then. And like we said, post up with LeBron in the post. That's a great option. Because in the last two finals, when LeBron really dominated, they put him down in the post and just ran everything through him. I think that's what they're going to have to do again. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, yeah, I mean, my favorite stat from last year's finals was that it was like LeBron led in I think every major statistical category on both teams, which is just absurd to think about. And that's not through um, spacing out the perimeter and guys having uh, having guys fire up threes. It's by LeBron imposing his will on the game and really just taking over like no other player can um, on the planet. So I think uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna have to be LeBron in that sort of beast mode that that he was in last year. Um, but also some support from the guys uh, like like Love. Uh, the sort of lasting image from that final last year is the defensive stop that Love got on Steph on that last possession. Um, he, he guarded, and he got a hand up and uh, moved his feet to the point where uh, Steph threw up a bad shot. So I think it's going to be plays like that where you have guys doing uh, on, on the Cavs doing things that they're not necessarily used to doing or known for doing that is uh that would uh be necessary for to, to push them past a more talented Warriors team I'd say and on Monday against the Spurs Kevin Love was just camping out on the three-point line shooting threes he went one for six from three and only had nine points in 27 minutes if I'm Kevin Love I'm trying to get in the post instead of just camping out on the three-point line and he's, he's got to just help his team more offensively rather than just sitting out waiting for waiting for the ball to be passed to him well Kevin Love I think is the key come the playoff time I mean Kyrie and LeBron they kind of always get theirs Kevin Love's kind of the x-factor we saw in the finals last year he had a much better finals than he did the year before um, he was actually able to play some defense and stay on the floor late in games um, but I didn't mind against the Spurs necessarily I didn't really mind him standing out in three-point line because they do have pretty big bigs with Aldridge and Gasol and Deadman. Uh Aldridge has a couple inches on him in the post um, although he's not a great defender. Um, against a team like the Warriors, even though Draymond's a really good defender, he's a little sh- smaller, shorter. Um, th- that's maybe where you want to use him in the post. Um, um, what was I going to say? Forgot. Yeah, I think uh, the thing with Love, a-, a lot of people forget that this is, the, this is a guy who was just a few years back a first option on not an NBA franchise, you know, not a very good team in the Timberwolves, but he was putting up absurd numbers and 
has the talent and uh, the history of being a guy who could go for 25 and 25. And I think just uh, for him to get that confidence back and uh, not necessarily shooting more, but just remembering that he's that caliber of a player is, is big for the Cavs. I think he's a player that really relies on confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Cavs, like, I think they've realized that over the years, and they try and get him the ball, almost force-feed him in the first quarter. He's had some really big scoring for first quarters, and I actually think he leads the league right now in uh, average points for the first quarter. Um, so it's important to get him involved early, get him engaged, um, and then Kyrie and LeBron can kind of be the closures as the game moves on. But I saw a really interesting stat today when I was watching Colin Coward earlier. I want to know what you guys think about it. Like, LeBron this year, is the Cavs are 0-6 when LeBron sits out. Uh, other small forwards of that caliber, Kawhi Leonard, I think the uh, the Spurs are maybe, they're close to 500, and the Warriors have a winning record without Durant this year. So, I mean, Colin Coward, a big LeBron fan that he is, uh, he was just pointing out how just valuable LeBron is and how so how much more valuable he is than every other player in the league. Um, do you think that's the case, uh, or is that just a stat that just happens to be there? You talking about for MVP race or just in general? Just in general. I mean, I, I come from the opinion also, along with Colin Coward, that LeBron deserves an MVP every year. He's the best player in the league every year, no matter if he has the highest stats. I mean, what do you guys think about that? See, my take on, I, I, if we're talking most valuable player to his team, I agree. It's LeBron every year. Now, I think the, the award is not given to the most valuable player. I think it's, it should be called the uh, player with the best season award. You know what I mean? So now we're like, on that. Just quickly, let's go around. Who do you have as your MVP and give me your argument? I have Westbrook just because averaging a triple-double is absurd to even think about uh it's kind of like hitting 400 in the MLB I think that level of difficulty and to think that he's about to do that and lead a team that was uh uh eight months ago completely down and after after losing Durant just totally uh shell-shocked and to to do something positive for that franchise and lead him back to the playoffs think he's had a better season than LeBron has doesn't make him more valuable to the team than LeBron is but I think Westbrook's had the best season of anyone Harden would be number two for me for me I'd pick Harden as number one because I said that I said it this morning on the 30 minute week podcast he's averaging a double double and he, he's right there with eight assists almost two away from a triple double as well um, eight rebounds I believe yeah eight yeah. rebounds uh yeah so two more rebound if he averaged two more rebounds he'd have a double uh triple double so and also, the the Rockets have 51 wins this season. They're third in the West. He's just playing out of his mind. And also, he's in a new position at point guard. Mike D'Antoni wants to play the one. So I just think overall, by having the third best record in the, record in the West and leading the, leading the Rockets after Dwight Howard leaving, and they were barely the eighth seed last year, I think that it was a huge improvement. And I think that he should be the MVP. I agree with you, Charlie. I'm going to go with James Harden. Uh, I think his, he gets the edge due to his team being a little bit better. They're the three seed right now, 51 and 23. The Thunder are the fo- the six seed right now, 52 and th- I mean 42 and 31. Uh, so they have a little bit of an edge in that regard. Also, Harden's just completely bought into the system of Mike D'Antoni, and he's leading that team. I think vocally. I think he's given a little bit more effort defensively this year. And in a normal year, you say Russell Westbrook is averaging the first triple-double since Oscar Robertson. You say you have to give it to him, which I was thinking that for most of the season. 
But now late in the season, James Harden's kind of won me over a little bit. Um, and he's not too far from a triple-double, as you mentioned. Right. He, he's averaging more assists than Russell Westbrook, and he's only about a rebound and a half shy of a triple-double. So James Harden's my guy who I'm going to give it to. Uh, and Now, our producer Tyler just threw out an idea of co-MVPs for Harden as and Kobe said. Westbrook. Yeah, Kobe said it on uh, Sunday NFL, uh, NBA countdown. Yeah. Okay, are you guys okay with that, or do you feel like there has to be one definitive winner for the award? I'd be okay with that, but I think yeah. the— writers and the voters they would have to have a split decision which i mean you it's can't tough really mathematically yeah. to do that yeah. <laughs> so well i mean there were co-rookie of the years with jason kidd and grand hill i don't i don't see why it couldn't happen yeah i'd be fine with it honestly but then also brings up the discussion years ago derrick rose winning over lebron or even dwight howard derrick rose i don't think deserved it that year personally um tyler in the back shaking his head he didn't deserve it either uh yeah lebron or dwight howard should have won it that year like there's many instances where you can make an argument for another player. I mean, either way, Westbrook, Harden, even you want to throw Kawhi Leonard in there, LeBron, any of those guys are deserving of it, and I wouldn't be upset with any of them getting it. I think you bring up a good point where you're saying earlier how um, one of the factors that went into your decision of picking Harden over Westbrook is the fact that the team's better, you know, and I think that has been a tiebreaker really ever since I started following the MVP race is that a lot of times when guys' stat lines are so similar, it's given to the team with the best record or the the team with the better record. And I think that's a fair tiebreaker, uh, in my opinion, at least. And also head-to-head matchups. I think the Rockets, I don't know if they sw- – I think they have three wins over them this season. So That's a great point. That's that's you have If you could look at that if you want to make like a tiebreaker. I also feel like James Harden kind of lets the game come to him more, whereas Westbrook's kind of searching out the stats. Like, he – aggressively goes to the rebounds and gives his bigs a death stare if they steal the rebound from him. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's a little bit how I think. I'm going to give it to Harden. So I'm just going to say thank you to you guys for coming on Pick and Pod today. We had a good time, a lot of good discussion. Um, Pick and Pod's a production of WFUV Sports. Uh, stay tuned for another version of Pick and Pod next week. Right.